John chapter 19 and verse 38. John 19, 38. And we'll read through John chapter 20 and verse 10. Okay, beginning with John 19 and verse 38. And if you have it, say praise the Lord. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, say the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus, say the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Then took they the body of Jesus, say the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, went into the sepulcher, and seeing the linen clothes lying, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that must that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you tonight for the hope that we have in you. Father, we ask you right now to speak to us in and through your word. We thank you for your anointing that rests upon us. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lift your hands and just worship him again. Amen. Lift up your voice and praise him. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord, tonight, Jesus. I praise you tonight, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mighty God, I lift your holy name up. I glorify you. I thank you tonight, Jesus. You are awesome. You are great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. The title of the message tonight, The Drama of Redemption, The Burial of Jesus. 
the drama of redemption, the burial of Jesus. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 38, please, of John 19. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Most of the time, when we preach, we focus on the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, and his resurrection. Very rarely do we take enough time in focusing on his burial, the burial of his body. But we need to understand that Jesus, even while he was dead, had command of his burial site. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, we have a prophecy there in Isaiah about the burial of Jesus. Hopefully tonight I can show you how important it is that his body was buried. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse uh, 53 and verse 9, prophecy. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. If the devil had had his way, they would have taken the body of Jesus off of the cross and they would have thrown it into Gehenna. As you know, Gehenna was the Valley of Hinnom, the garbage dump on the outside of Jerusalem. So if the devil had had his way, they would have took his body and they would have thrown it out there in the garbage dump to burn and to be eaten by the maggots. That's what they did. Most often, the criminals that were crucified They'd take them and throw them out there in the flames of Gehenna. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was in command of even the place of his burial. So the devil did not get his way with Jesus' body. That is very, very, very important. Okay? If Jesus' body would have been allowed to be thrown in the garbage dump to be burned, we'll show you the significance of that. Okay? But the Bible tells us in verse 9 of the prophecy of Isaiah that he made his grave, say his grave, with the wicked and with the rich in his death. That means he died with the wicked, the, the wicked being the thieves and the malefactors that were there with him. And of course they were uh, buried. And then the Bible says, and with the rich in his death. So God had plans not for the body of Jesus to be cast into the garbage dump of Jerusalem to be burned there, but God planned that the body of Jesus would experience a rich man's burial. That the body of Jesus Christ would experience the burial of a king. And as you go uh, through the Gospel of John, you will see a hundred pounds of alloys and spices uh, went into the preparation of the body. That is the preparation of a king. And so God insisted prophetically that his body would not be cast out in the garbage dump, but that he, we would have a rich man's burial. He would have a king's burial. It would be a tremendous burial. 
His body would be cared for with extreme care. Give the Lord praise for that. So that God, God was in command even of the burial of Jesus, not just his crucifixion and his resurrection, but where his body was placed and how his body was treated and how his body was buried. It's all very, very important that it be done that way. Now go to John chapter 12. Jesus had made this statement in the 12th chapter of this same book. In verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Okay, I'm in John 12, 24 now. Okay, verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So his body, like seed, had to be planted in the ground. Amen? Therefore, it could produce much fruit. Your salvation not only depends on his death and his resurrection, but your salvation depends on his burial. So the Bible says he would, like a corn of wheat, would fall to the ground and die. Amen. They would take his body and they would plant that body into the earth, into the sepulcher, so that it could produce much fruit. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark, it's they plant the seed right in the ground. What happens? The seed dies. And then all of a sudden you've got what? The blade comes up. Then what? The blade, the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. And that's exactly what they did. They took the body of Jesus, they planted it in the earth in the sepulcher. When he rose again the third day, the ear started growing, or the, the, uh, the blade started growing. And it kept growing, it kept growing, it kept growing for 40 days. He walked the earth, it kept growing, it kept growing. He ascended up to heaven. It kept growing, it kept growing, it kept growing. We have the ear. And then all of a sudden he goes back where he came from. And on the day of Pentecost, full corn in the ear, the corn got so heavy, the corn of Canaan fell down on the day of Pentecost and filled us all with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So if they, didn't have, if they had not planted his body into the earth, it would not have borne much fruit. It was critical that they take his body and they bury the body of Jesus. And it was done with much, much care. Say much care. Say praise the Lord. Much care. His body was mortal. His body was subject to dying. Obviously. But his blood was incorruptible. That's why when the soldier pierced his side, blood and water flowed out of his body because that incorruptible blood could not stay in that body which was mortal. He shed that blood out of his body, untainted blood, incorruptible blood, without sin. He shed that blood out of his body 
in order to forgive you and I of all of our sins. And then after His resurrection, after the resurrection of the body, He then poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. So He shed His blood so that we could be forgiven, incorruptible, untainted blood. And then He poured out the Holy Ghost after the resurrection of that body. So He shed His blood and poured out His Spirit. Thank God for what He did for us. Amen. They took that body and very carefully handled it because it was the seed that had to be planted. And they had to get it off the cross quick, quickly. And it had to be buried in less than 24 hours before decay started setting into the body. They had to get it into the ground. Are you with me tonight? It was, it was critical for our salvation that it not start decaying until they got it into the tomb. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you tonight? Give the Lord praise in the house. Go to Hebrews 10, please. What a great God He is. The rich man's burial, king's burial. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Say the body of Jesus. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a part of the Sanhedrin court. They went and they got the body. They pulled the nails out of his wrist and out of his feet. They got the body of Jesus off the cross because they understood how important it was to take care of that body and to plant that body properly and to manage that body properly. That body was bruised. That body was crucified. That body was beaten. But they took it and they very carefully buried that body because of the importance of that body. Are you all with me today? Now, I'm going to give you a little idea about uh, Jewish burial customs. So you'll understand some things. In Jewish culture, the elder son closes the eyes of his father. Okay? Whenever you have a body that is dead, if the eyes are open, the mouth is open, the only one that can see that body naked is the firstborn son. The firstborn son, Lord help me tonight, takes very delicate care of the body at the time of death. He goes to the body, he takes the head of the body, he lifts the head up in dignity. Okay? He wraps a napkin around the jaw. All right? To close the mouth. He washes the body off. He binds the hands and the feet with strips of linen. Okay? He puts that body that's been washed inside 
of a shroud. He takes that body, and as I said, he is the only one that can see that body naked. Going back to the days of Noah, when his children looked upon the nakedness of, of Noah, God did not like that. So at the time of death, only the firstborn can see the naked body of the man. So after he closes the eyes and he winds the napkin around the, the jaw to close the mouth, wash the body, ties the hands and the feet, puts the body in a shroud. Then he takes the body and he puts it in a clean place in a sepulcher. Okay? A sepulcher is a cave in the side of a hill that's been hewn out. A big old rock is rolled in front of that sepulcher. But also on that body, the talit of the person, the prayer shawl, is tied around the face of the person. Say amen. And so great, great care is taken to make sure that body is handled correctly and that the head is held up in dignity at that time. Are y'all with me? Now let's go over to the book of Genesis and I'll show you something. There's another Joseph in the Bible who is a type of Joseph of Arimathea. Genesis 46. And, and verse 4. Genesis 46 and verse 4 said, I will go down with thee into Egypt. I, I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Okay, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. It's the firstborn son's right to close the eyes and to close the mouth. Okay? But the Bible tells us that Joseph is given that priority from Reuben. Now, Reuben he fell into some sin, etc. And evidently this obligation passed to Joseph. So Joseph here is seen in Genesis as the one that's going to close the eyes of his father. So I'm making reference, telling you what they did. The elder son closed the eyes and the mouth of the son. Now watch this. Okay? Of the father. Say, of the father. Now we have in the book of John, go back over there, we have Joseph, another Joseph. Okay? Joseph means to add to. Say Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, just like Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, took care of his father at the time of burial. We have Joseph here in the New Testament taking care of his father, Jesus Christ. They go and get the body of Jesus off the cross. As I said, they would have gone through this long process of preparation for the body. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, just like the prophet Isaiah prophesied. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went and got that body, the seed, and they put it in a sepulcher where nobody had ever laid before. The virgin-born Son of God was taken and put in a virgin tomb. He didn't buy it. He borrowed it. 
Joseph of Arimathea provided the tomb. He provided the alloys and spices. He provided the shroud that the body went inside of. He's like the elder son taking care of the body of Jesus. And so Joseph was the one that purchased the tomb. Jesus didn't purchase it. Why? Because he was going to be in it only three days, so he didn't need to buy it. He bought you because he's going to dwell with you forever. He purchased you with his blood because he's going to dwell with you forever. Say praise the Lord. Very carefully they handled his body and put him in that tomb. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Say they buried him. Go to Romans chapter 6. So that he could produce much fruit. That body carried God. That body carried the blood. Say amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So that his burial, as he said, that seed must fall into the ground, okay, and die, or it abides alone. It becomes a type and a shadow of when you're water baptized in Jesus' name. So at that point, the incorruptible blood that that body carried, that incorruptible blood is applied to your life. You with me? How? Not literally. It's not the literal blood of Jesus, but the blood is in the name of Jesus Christ. So that incorruptible blood that that body carried shed on the cross is applied to you when you're buried with Him in baptism in His name. And that blood is the blood of God Himself. So go to Acts 20, 28. Some people will tell you it's not necessary for you to be water baptized to be saved. How are you going to get the blood applied to your life? The Bible says that if you're buried in the likeness of his death, you you shall also be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Now I'm going to do what I'm going to go up by the Bible, and I'm going to do what Jesus says, and not what some church system says. Okay, Amen. Now look at Acts 20 and 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers 
to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Did you catch that? God purchased the church with his own blood, but God is a spirit. And a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones and blood. God is a spirit. The Bible says in Acts 20 and 28, though he purchased the church with his own blood. Who did? God did. It was the blood of God that was flowing in the veins of Jesus. But the spirit of God doesn't have blood. So he added to himself another nature, which is humanity. And in that human body was God. And in that human body was the blood of God. And that blood that was shed for you are y'all with me? was incorruptible. It had no sin in it. It was untainted. It was shed for you so that your sins can be forgiven and then remitted when the name of Jesus is called over you in water baptism. I submit to you tonight that if you have not been water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you show me in the Bible where the blood has ever been applied to your life because the blood is in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you are water baptized, you are buried with Him in baptism. When you come up out of that water, you arise to walk in newness of life just like His resurrection. Say praise the Lord. I thank God for the truth today. So they were very, listen, they were very careful about that body. Crucified, bruised, and beaten. But they wanted to be sure they took care of that body. Do you understand tonight, if it had not been for a saint taking care of his body, that that body would have went to hell. They would have taken that body and thrown it into Gehenna to be burned in the garbage dump if it had not been the careful working of a saint with the body. Are y'all with me now? Now, having said that, let me give you spiritual application. I know I'm going in different directions, but you need this, okay? Look at First John, please. We have another. Now we come to the epistles of John. First John, chapter two. You ready for this? Just like a saint, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took care of the body and was very careful with the body so that it wouldn't be cast into Gehenna, but that it would experience a rich man's burial, a king's burial. You are responsible to take care of your body. And I'm going to show you why. Okay? See, God saves your soul. Look at your name and say, God saves your soul. But you are responsible for your body. Now, ultimately, when he comes and raptures you, if you're still alive and uh, you don't see death, he raptures you. If you die and you're resurrected, your body will be glorified. Okay? Jesus, though now, saves your soul, your spirit, but your body is your responsibility. Did you catch that? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were responsible to handle the body, to care for the body of Jesus, right? Okay. 
So you are now the body of Christ and you are responsible for your body, not God. You are responsible to handle and to care for the body because you are now the carrier of the seed of God. Because you have the Holy Ghost inside of you and you're water baptized in Jesus' name. The blood has been applied to your life. You are carriers of the seed. Your body carries the seed of God in it. So you have to be very careful with your body what you do with it. If you don't, that body will end up in hell. God saves your soul, but you are responsible for your body. You are the one who presents your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The Bible doesn't say God presents your body. The Bible says you and I present our bodies. Romans 12, 1. Are y'all here tonight? I'll say it again. God does not present your body. You do. Present your bodies holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You and I are responsible to present this body to God, to take care of this body, to live holy before the Lord, to educate this body with the Word of God. Because you have the seed of God in you, you must protect that seed. So that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, when they went and took the body of Jesus off the cross, they were protectors of the seed. They were protectors of the body. They made sure the body was handled right, was buried right, in the right place. They were responsible for the body. Now listen to me. Nicodemus could have been there and the Sanhedrin the night that Jesus went and stood before them and the, the religious, the highest court of the land condemned him to death. Are y'all here? Why didn't Nicodemus stand up in the Sanhedrin court and say he's an innocent man? He talked to him in John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said, We know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Be with you. He knew that God was with Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Unless you be born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter in the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. Nicodemus knew who he was. Nicodemus did not stand up and defend Jesus when the highest religious court in the world condemned him to death. Where was Nicodemus? The Bible tells us right here, he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Now he's going and he's going to ask with Joseph and Arimathea the body of Jesus from Pilate. But up to that point, he's been a secret disciple. You see what's happening here? Nicodemus says, I have committed a terrible error. A terrible, terrible error. He did not defend Jesus when Jesus stood there before the Sanhedrin court and they condemned him to death. Nicodemus committed a deadly error. But Nicodemus said, there's still hope for me. If I can get that body off of that cross and I can take care of that body and I can bury that body, he said, there's life 
in a deadly error. Life can come out of a deadly error. So he took it and he became the protector of the body of Jesus Christ. The body that had carried God in it. The body that carried the blood of God in it. They become the protectors of the body of Christ. They knew there was life in a deadly error. If we could just get that body. They had heard him preach. They had heard him teach. That if he dies and falls to the ground. If he comes up there's going to be much fruit. They knew if they could get the body and plant that body, that seed in the earth, that they could be saved if they handled the body right. Listen to what I'm telling you. Job said it this way. If a man die, shall he live again? If a man die, shall he live again? And he's thinking in his mind about trees, dry trees uh, that have fallen in death. If a, if a dry tree can fall down but for the scent of water begin to produce uh, limbs and branches on that tree again. Even though it appeared to be dead, dry, the scent of water. It doesn't even say there had to be water at the root. Just the smell of water. The Bible said the tree would begin to grow again from the roots. And so Job said... If a man dies, shall he live again? If a dead, dry tree can do that, what? I know I'm bored, but I'm going to preach to you anyway. If a dead, dry, dry tree can do that, come alive at just the scent of water, what can a body do that has been handled correctly? Hallelujah to the Lamb. If a man die, shall he live again? The answer is yes in Jesus Christ. And so even though uh, Nicodemus had committed a deadly error, he said, if I can just get that body, that seed, and plant it into the ground, he said, I can have life out of a deadly error. Jesus is going to come out of that grave. And when he does, he's going to give me life in a deadly error. Give God praise. And so, whoo, Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost now. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus, tonight. Whoo, glory to God in the highest. Praise God. Say praise the Lord, church. Whoo. And so... They recognize, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus recognize we have to protect that body. We cannot let that body be taken off the cross and thrown into Gehenna and burn in that hellish fire. We've got to meticulously take care of that body. We've got to take him, Joseph said. I've got to take him. He said, I'm like the firstborn, uh, Joseph, that took care of Jacob. I've got to close his eyes. I've got to take uh, that garment and, and wind his jaw tight. Uh, I've got to wash his body, bind his uh, hands and feet with strips of linen. I've got to put that body in a shroud and I've got to take that body and put alloy spices in that body and give him a king's burial and put him in a sepulcher. I've got to put him in the ground. I am the protector of the seed. So now what I'm telling you tonight, in case you don't know it, and you won't know it unless I tell you, is that the seed of God is inside of you. 
You must present your body holy and acceptable unto the Lord. God saves your soul. You present your body. Are y'all with me today? You and I are responsible that we protect the investment of God. God has made an investment in every one of you. He shed His blood. He purchased you with His blood. There is an investment that God has made for every one of you. And you are responsible to protect the investment that God has made in you. Give the Lord praise in the house. You now are the body of Christ. And you individually have to care for the body. You individually have to present your body. You individually have to protect the body because the seed is in you. Now look at 1 John chapter 2 in the epistles of John. Does this make sense to you tonight? Oh, give God praise. 1 John 2, 28. And now little children... Abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. He says you abide in Him. You stay in Christ Jesus. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Are y'all here now? Look at chapter 3 and verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. If you can live a life in sin, you have never seen God and you don't know God. That's what John says. There's a lot of people that they can live a life of sin and still claim to have seen God and know God. John said... If you continue in sin, you have never seen God and you don't know God. Now watch. Whoa, hallelujah to the Lamb. He loves you enough tonight to be here. He said in verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. You can look at the person's life and if they live righteous, a righteous life, uh, then uh, they are righteous. Amen. If they do righteousness, they are righteous. They can claim to be righteous, but if they're not doing righteousness, he said they're not righteous. Now watch this. So here we go. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. If you're really born of God, it is impossible for you to live a lifestyle of sin. Why? Because His seed remains in you. 
So now, because his seed remains in you, you are responsible to protect that seed and to live holy and to live godly and to live righteous. I've got to protect the seed. God has paid a price. There is a huge investment in every one of you, Brother Patrick. God has made a huge investment in me. I've got to protect the investment. And the way I do that is by living godly and living holy. And if His seed remains in me, I cannot sin. That means I will not live a lifestyle of sin. I will live a lifestyle that's righteous, that's godly, that's holy, because I see Him and I know Him. Give the Lord praise in the house. So I'm trying to tell you that you are responsible to take care of that body because it is the carrier of of the seed of God. So Joseph and Nicodemus said, there's life in a deadly air. If I can go and get the seed and protect the seed and bury the seed, said, I know there'll be life that comes to me. Give the Lord praise. And so very carefully and very gently, they handle the body. Just like Joseph in the Old Testament, we have a Joseph here handling his father Jesus and making sure that he's placed in that sepulcher. Hallelujah. And that that body is not destroyed by the lake of fire. Now I'm telling you again, if you don't take care of that body that the seed of God is inside of, your body will be cast into Gehenna. Don't play games with God. You, a lot of people playing games with God. You are responsible to present that body. Your body is going to, uh, that carnal nature is going to try to resist and fight and do its own thing. I brought this body to church tonight because I have to protect the investment of God. I pray because I have to protect the investment of God. I live righteous and holy because I have to protect the investment of God. I'm careful of who I hang around with because I got to protect the investment of God if I don't care for this body this body must be the body of a saint and if the saint don't take care of the body then the body will be cast into hell. If a saint doesn't take care of the body of Jesus on the cross his body will be cast into hell. I hope you get it. I'm not bringing you a bunch of religious talk. I'm not bringing you a sermon tonight. You better get this word tonight. Because some of you, your salvation depends on the body of Jesus. Being protected. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Lift up your hands and worship Him now. God is not going to make you sing. God is not going to make you dance. God is not going to make you pray. God is not going to make you read your Bible. God is not going to make you live for it. You have to present your body to Him. And only then can He save your body. But He didn't just die for your soul, brother. He died for your body. Now listen. 
John has to preach. He has to tell uh, that world, uh, the Gentiles, the Greek speakers particularly, that Jesus had a physical body, that Jesus was not a spirit only, because the Gnostics taught that Jesus was a spirit only, that Jesus really didn't have a body, because they said anything material is evil. So if Jesus had a physical body, and God was in that body, that body was automatically evil because it was physical. John is letting everybody know the greatest thinkers of the world that are alive at his time, the Greek, uh, Greek uh, minds. He's letting them know Jesus was not just a spirit. Jesus was a body. Jesus was a human being in every sense of the word. He was a man and he was God at the same time. Not just a spirit, but a real body in whom God dwelt. And in that body, the blood of God flowed, hallelujah, to the Lamb. And so, constantly John is saying, look, look what they did with his body. They did with his body. They did with his body. He's not just a spirit. He is a body, a body that was buried. Give the Lord praise in the house. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise as a spirit. He rose spiritual body. He didn't rise as a phantom. When Jesus rose, it was his body that rose spiritually. It was a spiritual body that rose, not just a spirit. Give God praise in the house. And so John has to emphasize to their minds, the greatest thinkers of the world, that Jesus was God come in flesh. That his body was real. His humanity was real. And there was real blood flowing in his veins. And the body they took was a real body body of a real man give the Lord praise your salvation depends on that I said your salvation depends on that give the Lord praise in the house tonight help me to preach help me to preach give the Lord praise in the house so now I have to understand the great care that they took in handling the body of Jesus Christ. It was essential that his head be held up in dignity. It was essential that only the firstborn son saw him naked in the time of burial because God was refuting the children of Noah who looked upon their father's nakedness Hallelujah. They should have covered their daddy's nakedness, but they uncovered him. God said, I don't like that. And so he said, I will set it up that the firstborn son is the one who will handle the naked body of the father. Close the eyes, close the mouth, bind the hands and the feet, wash the body, put aloes and spices on the body, and put the body in a shroud and place it into the sepulcher. So now we've got another Joseph here in the New Testament that's doing what the Joseph did in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Hallelujah. What happened before will happen again. 
Next week, the Lord willing, you will really see that because I will show you the seedbed of Genesis in John the 20th chapter. I will show you God opening the Garden of Eden or the Paradise of God open again for you and I to enter in. It's all got to go back to Genesis. What's happened before will happen again. A Joseph closed the eyes of his father in Genesis. A Joseph will close the eyes of his father in the Gospels. Give God praise in the house. But make sure you handle your body properly. Make you, don't, don't just let your mind go crazy. Don't let your mind wander. Don't let your attitude do every, what it wants to do. You are responsible for your body. God can save your soul. But you have to be responsible to protect the investment of God in you. Give the Lord praise in the house. First John tells us that. Isn't God good? Give God praise in the house. <clears throat> so that body must be taken off the cross and it must be put into the ground in order for it to bring forth much fruit. And I'm looking at the fruit now. Hallelujah. Because of He was in command of His burial. The place. The time. Everything. So we look at it in 19 and 38. Now I get to the text itself. Oh, hallelujah. I pray you never forget what I just told you tonight. You say, but pastor, I've committed a deadly error. Oh, hallelujah. Remember, you are carrying the seed of God. And there is life in deadly error. Hallelujah. You can just understand they took his body and they buried it. There's life in a deadly era. God can turn it around. Praise the Lord. God can turn it around. If you just present your body to heal. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. So now, we find that even Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. Uh, he goes to Pilate now. I will tell you this in studying some historical writings on Joseph. This man was not an unknown man uh, to Pilate and the government of Rome. This man was a high-ranking official. And so this is why I believe that Joseph had an audience with Pilate immediately and that Pilate immediately allowed him to have the body of Jesus. So are y'all with me now? Very, very respected official. And so the Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Say the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys about a hundred pound weight. That is a lot of spices. Alloy and myrrh. Now the Bible doesn't say there was oil involved. But in the burial custom of the Jews, oil was used, okay? So, and now there's two possibilities. The Bible doesn't tell us every detail. But it is possible they took dry alloy and spices, myrrh, and put the dry alloys uh, in uh, the shroud, say amen, or the burial, burial clothes of Jesus. It is also possible 
that they took the alloys and the myrrh and mixed it in oil and anointed the body. Just didn't wash the body. Are you hearing me? But anointed the body. You need to understand that. That's critical for what I'm going to share with you tonight. They washed the body. They anointed the body and applied the alloys and spices. A hundred pounds worth went into this process for Jesus. This is a king's burial. Hallelujah. A hundred pounds. Say praise the Lord. And so the Bible says uh, they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Are y'all here tonight? Now what is interesting is that uh, if you go to Mark 15 and 46, you will see the way Mark describes the burial cloth of Jesus in Mark 15.46. Powerful. The Bible says, now verse 45, 15.45, and when he knew of it, the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. Say the body to Joseph. He bought, who did? Joseph bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen or literally swaddled him in the linen. That is why Jesus, when he was born, the Bible says, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes was burial clothes. So when Jesus was born, they wrapped him in burial cloths to signify that Jesus was born to die. They swaddled him. And so the Bible tells us here in Mark 15, they bought, uh, Joseph bought fine linen. Say fine linen. Took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled the stone unto the door of the sepulcher. The word here, fine linen, that he wrapped him in. Notice it says fine linen, singular. He, they wrapped him. Joseph, the Bible says, bought this fine linen. The word linen is uh, sidon. S-I-N-D-O-N. Sidon or sidon. Say sidon. That word means shroud. Are y'all here? I went and looked it up today. I had to do, I'm, you're going to understand when I'm giving you this. Heavy, heavy research. Heavy research about the burial cloths for the body. Mark says it was a, in the Greek, uh, sidon, the linen cloth. Sidon, sidon, sidon is shroud. Say shroud. It is singular. Now look at Matthew. In Matthew 26, or 27, I'm sorry, 27. Verse 59, and when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, or he wrapped it in a shroud. The Greek word is 
send on. So now we see Mark 15 and Matthew 27. The Bible tells us the word. I did a study on the word. It is shroud. They put him in a shroud. Now go to John 19. The Bible tells us here that Joseph of Arimathea verse 40 then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths plural. The word here is different than the word that's used for linen in the gospel of Matthew and Mark. This word here uh, Othonia, Othonia is the word in the Greek. I don't want to bore you with that, but I have to give you the distinction. Othonia, it means strips of, 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 of linen, strips of linen. But it can also mean one garment made up of many parts. Say amen. Now in Jewish burial customs, as I said, they took the body and you can study uh, the Talmud in the 2nd and 3rd century describes Jewish burial customs. It was the Sidon, Sidon or the Sidon, uh, Sidon, 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 S-I-D-O-N, or S-I-D-O-N, Sidon, that they buried them in, or the shroud. They buried them in a shroud. Say amen. That's what the Jewish Talmud said. They said then a napkin, um, the Sudarian uh, was a napkin that wrapped the jaw and held the jaw closed, say the Sudarian. You need that, okay? They wrapped the jaw with that. They put the body in the shroud and wrapped the body with the Sudarian or the napkin. Listen, and they wrapped the hands and the feet, bound them with the othenia. Say, othenia. That, okay, now that's what John is making reference to here in John 19 when he said they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths. The word there is othenia. Oh, hallelujah. So you, there's no contradiction in the Bible. What the Bible is telling you is that Joseph took the body of Jesus and put it into a shroud. Matthew said his body was put into a shroud. John is the only one that Luke uses the plural form, linen cloths. And that word, if you study Jewish burial custom, was the strips that they bound the hands and feet with. So that according to what I studied, it was not the Jewish custom to take the body and wrap it from the feet up to the head like a mummy. Did you hear what I just said? It was not the custom for them to wrap the body in individual strips three times from the head to the feet. Oh yeah, well Pastor, you preached that to us before. Yeah, I did until God allowed me to get smarter or more knowledge. Now, uh, maybe I'm not so smart because there's still some theologians that will say uh, they still believe the Jewish custom is to wrap it like a mummy. But what I, my research 
found was it was not the custom for the Jews to wrap the dead like the Egyptians. The Jewish custom, now this might not mean anything to you, but it does to me. The Jewish custom was to put the body into a singular shroud or sheet-like uh, 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 linen, say amen, to bind the hands with the strips of linen and to bind the jaw closed with uh, the napkin, say amen, oh hallelujah, to the lamb. So by the text itself, you cannot prove that Jesus' burial cloths was wound strips like a mummy by the text. Are y'all here today? Which brings me to this right here. I called a man last night on the telephone because in May uh, when we were in New Mexico, the Lord, I believe in His sovereignty, allowed us to go to a museum that was about the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin. How many of you have ever heard of the Shroud of Turin? Turin is in Italy, and that's where a shroud is located. This shroud is supposedly the burial cloth of Jesus. Now, if the text tells you that Jesus was wound like a mummy, an Egyptian mummy, then you throw that shroud of Turin theory out the door. It is not valid at all. It is impossible for it to be valid. But if you look at the text, and the text says it was a shroud. I'm not telling you tonight that the shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of Jesus. What I'm telling you is that the scripture tells us that he was buried in a shroud. Now, well, where did, where did we come up with this winding of the, from the feet to the head? All right, where did we get that? Well, that life for living Bible study, home Bible study course that we teach people, that's where I first got that understanding. And that came from a book by Josh McDowell on the resurrection. He said that the, the Jewish custom was to wrap from the feet to the head in strips of linen like mummification. That was the Jewish burial custom. He still holds on that today. Are y'all with me right now? Are y'all awake? But according to, to Brown, who has a three-volume commentary on the Gospel of John in the Anchor Yale Bible Commentary series, which I have on my computer, Brown says that it is not the custom of the Jews to bury their dead as a mummy. And he said even though a plural word is used in John 19, it, can only, it could possibly mean just parts of one garment. But he did not, he did not say the shroud of Turin, John or Brown did not say the shroud of Turin was the burial cloth. He's just letting you know and me know that they buried him in a shroud, not a mummification process. All right. So we got two, we got one scholarship that says, you know, it wasn't mummification type. We got another scholarship that says it was. So who are you going to believe? The word of God. The Word of God says in Matthew 15 and in Mark, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark 15 and Mar uh, Matthew 20 what? 7 what? Huh? 
Yeah, that it was a singular garment and it was the shroud just like the Jewish burial customs of the times of the Talmud. Say amen. amen. Oh, but there's no contradiction. So I'm telling you that those plural cloths, according to Jewish burial customs, were what down the hand and the feet. I called the man last night on the telephone uh, to the museum about the shroud. There were 27 U.S. scientists that got together and examined the Shroud of Turin. And uh, without exception, every one of those scientists, when they first started examining the Shroud, without exception, every one of them were skeptical. They didn't believe it was the burial cloth of Jesus. But after they looked at it carefully, 27 uh, scientists uh, of America, not all Christians, some were atheists and some were agnostic scientists, Every one of them came to the conclusion it's not fraudulent. And it wasn't painted on. Are y'all here today? 26 scientists of America say praise God. Some atheists, some agnostic, and some Christians, yes. Are y'all with me now? But anyway, I called the man and I said, all right, when I was talking to you, uh, when we sat there, man, my wife, my family, Victoria and Jeremiah sat there in his museum and he gave us a one-on-one lecture about the Shroud of Turin. It was laid out, uh, a picture of it, duplication of it, laid out on a screen, you know, and all kinds of of, uh, pictures in the background, etc. He started teaching us and asking questions about various things that I thought would refute the validity of the Shroud. I said, what about this? What about the coins on the eyes? Etc., etc., etc. And he just sat there and he started talking and he, he said, okay, this, he explained that and explained this. And well, I don't know how long it was that, but an hour or so, he sat there and taught us on the Shroud of Turin. And I said, I got one question for you. I said, I've always, I have been taught that the Jewish burial custom was a mummification type process that they wound the body in strips uh, and in between the strips they put the aloe and spices round the body from the foot to the head. He said... Jewish burial customs uh, was in a shroud. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, it's written in an act. He said, I could give you the documentation. So I gave him my phone number, my telephone number, and, and the information to get in touch with me. He never called me. So last night, I called him on the telephone, and I said, hey, by the way, do you have the name of that book? Uh, I can find the documentation. Uh, that the Jewish burial custom was not mummification type process. He said, I, I don't remember it, but I can send you to some links from my website. Okay. And so he gave me the names of some scientists to go and, and, and look links. And I got home and of course, the links didn't lead me to what I was looking for. Are y'all here? I, I couldn't find by the links that, that he had any verification of Jewish burial customs being in a shroud and not mummification type burial process. So what do I do now? I start studying myself. And I studied and I studied and I studied and I looked at the words. I looked at the words in Matthew. I looked at the words in Mark. I looked at the words in John and I studied the burial customs of the Jews myself and I found out this truth. I'm telling you today that the text itself does not disprove the shroud of Turin. Are y'all with me tonight?
But I'm also going to tell you I'm skeptical, skeptical that that shroud is the shroud that was the burial cloth of Jesus. I'm skeptical, skeptical. You know why? Because that shroud showed up in the middle 1300s, around 1350. And that was the time when the crusaders were filling Europe with fraudulent relics. That's when it first appeared. Are y'all awake tonight? So I am a little bit skeptical that that is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, the text doesn't refute that it was a shroud. That's all I'm telling you. My main concern is to be biblical. Hallelujah. But there have been a lot of people who thought the shroud of Turin was nothing more than Catholic superstition who went in it and looked at it for themselves and came to the conclusion it's authentic. So even though I'm skeptical, is it possible? It is possible. Are y'all here tonight? Give the Lord praise in the house. That, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but that meant a whole lot to me. Because I, you know, I said in the past, it's absolutely impossible for the Shroud of Turin to be the burial cloth of Jesus because they wound the body like a mummy. I found that I was wrong. Thank God for that gentleman and that museum over there. Or am I wrong? Well, according to the text, it's a shroud. Are y'all here? But according to John, it's plural. Amen. So it depends on what history uh, or, or what Jewish burial custom, you know, is really accurate. And I'm going by the one of the Talmud, which in the second, third century says that it was a shroud that they put the bodies in and it wasn't a mummification process. I think they ought to know. I think the Jews ought to know how they bury their own people. Say amen. But Josh McDowell is a respected theologian, so, you know, I don't know where he got his information, but he claims it was a, a mummification process. So, I have, we purchased this picture. Now, I don't have time tonight to get into all the details about the shroud. If you're interested in it, go on the internet and struggle to study the shroud of Turan, the, the ins and outs of it. But this is a picture, an authentic picture I have often, as far as authentic can be authentic. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Praise the Lord. As far as authentic can be authentic, I've got a piece of paper here that uh, documents. Uh, anyway, that man's a real nice man over at the museum. He tried to help me the best he could in, in trying to locate links. Um, but anyway, but I found out what he told me was the truth about a shroud being the bearer of cloth. But this is a, a certificate of authenticity right here. This picture right here is a picture of the Shroud of Turin. A thought authentic picture. And you'll notice it's in 3D, not 2D. It's not two-dimensional, it's 3D. Three-dimensional. You understand that? They claim that this three-dimensional aspect is supernatural. And according to the gentleman there in Alamogordo, 
He said, this is the only picture that has three-dimensional qualities in it. Just write it for me. Does that look three-dimensional to you? Okay. It's supposed to have the scars here on the head. Um, it, I know it's hard to see, but anyway, just thought I'd show it to you. Is that Jesus? I'm not saying that's Jesus. Um, I'm just telling you that's the picture of the of the image of the Shroud of Turin. And I think if you would like to, you take the time, because I won't ever spend two or three years in research, but that what the man shared with me in Alamogordo there at that museum is fascinating to me. Okay? Praise the Lord. Okay? And I know I bore all of you with all of this stuff, but, you know, I've got an investigative mind. You know? Praise the Lord. But I can tell you this, by Jewish burial customs that I've studied, and by the Word of God, it definitely could have been a single shroud. But then you got other questions. The separate napkin that was around the jaw holding the sudurium, it was around the jaw that held the jaw together and then the talit that covered the face. That seems to be a separate part, a separate um, part of the burial covering of Jesus separate from the shroud in the text. So there seems to be some discrepancies with the text versus the way the shroud from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet depicts the whole man. Okay, and some people say, well, it, it couldn't have been uh, painted because the blood spots on the shroud are have been tested to be blood. Well, if it's a fake, anybody could have got human blood and used human blood instead of paint. Paint marks on the shroud. Are y'all hear what I'm telling you? So that's why I'm not going to make a commitment and tell you tonight that the shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of Jesus. I'm not going to tell you it's not. I'm skeptical that it is though. It could be fake. All right, hallelujah. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be that person that said, "No, it's a shred. This is Jesus burial cloth right here." You know, and and find out how stupid I was. You know what I mean? But by looking at the text, that's what I was concerned with. The text tells you it was a shroud, and only John gives you a plural the term the linen. Give God praise. But according to Jewish burial customs, that plural word can represent the strips that bound the hands and the feet. So now when you're teaching life for living, you just, you know, I messed you up completely. And that real pretty picture that shows Jesus in like a cocoon structure, you know, uh, you say, this is Jesus. He was wrapped in like mummification process. Then you got to change that. you got to say, according to the Bible, in Mark and Matthew, it was a single shroud, just like Jewish burial customs. And then for you to try to explain John chapter 19, you have to explain that uh, those plural linens, Greek word means, according to Jewish burial customs, what down the hands and the feet. Strips it down the hands and the feet. Okay. You want to be, you want to be biblical? You want to learn the Bible, or you want to be dumb all the rest of your life? I mean, you want to be dumb the rest of your life. No, it's your responsibility to educa educate your body with the Word of God. Say amen. amen. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, I love the Word of God. Do you care?
So Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah's here, and um, he let me borrow his picture, praise the Lord, and, and so I just want to show that to you. I better get off of that. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be brief with that because I don't want that to be the focal point. I don't want the Shroud of Turin to be the focal point. Jesus' resurrection is the focal point. When you go through the, the, the gospel writers, you will see, brothers and sisters, that the disciples don't focus on or give their opinion even about Pilate. They don't give their opinion about Annas or Caiaphas. When they're writing about the crucifixion, okay, they don't say that Pilate is a dirty dog. Look what he did to Jesus. And Pilate he was a he's a devil, you know. They don't express an opinion. You know why? Because they do not want you to lose sight of the Christ of God. They want you to stay focused on Jesus Christ and what He did. So they avoid opinions. So I'm not going to be lengthy on that because I do not want to get focused on something that I can't prove as far as the Shroud of Turin. But I'm telling you today, Jesus is the focus. And they took His body and they went through the Jewish burial customs because the Bible says it right there. As the manner of the Jews was to bury. Give the Lord praise. Which is what? That the firstborn son would take the body. He was the only one that could see the naked body. The firstborn son would wrap the head of the, of the body of the father, close the jaws that had been opened and put his hands on the eyes and close the eyes that were open. The firstborn son did that. He bound the hands and feet, washed the body, put it in the shroud with the alloys and the spices, took the shroud and put the shroud, the body in the sepulcher. That was his responsibility. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Say amen. Give God praise in the house. The shroud was the Sidon, Sidon and the uh, napkin around the face was called the Sudarian. Praise the Lord. And then those, uh, those bands that bound the feet and the hands was, was what the plural word was used there in John 19. Uh, Athonia, I think is how you say it. Okay, say praise the Lord. So I think I've got it covered. I think I've got it covered. That it wasn't mummification. <laughs> anyway, I told you I wasn't going to make that focus, and I'm not. Verse 40 Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to what? Bury. I will tell you this if you're hungry to know the truth, God will put you in touch with somebody. And you may not come to the same conclusion that they're coming to as far as the shrouded term is concerned, but you will still be sent to research what you've taught. Is that the proper way? Did they really bury people that way? Hallelujah to the Lamb. That's what excites me is because of my desire to know the truth. God connected me with somebody that would make me curious. Now, I'm, I'm not confused about baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the oneness of God. I am not confused about that. I'm talking about incidentals like what kind of cloth was he buried in? You all right, Jared? 
You look like you're watching TV or something. I'm messing with you. I'm, I'm messing with you. I shouldn't have said that. I can tell I got Brother Jared's attention, man. He, he hadn't moved since. He hadn't even breathed for 30 minutes. You better breathe or you're going to die, man. He's been frozen like that for about 30 minutes. He don't even know it. Thank God. I like, I like people like you that love the Word of God, that want to know the Word of God. In fact, I feel like all of you are like that. You just preach me to death. Thank God. Verse 41, Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man yet laid. Sepulcher was, a, as I said before, it was hewn out of rock. And then a big old stone, most of the time, was rolled back. It was like a sliding door. Some of you have sliding doors at your house. This big old flat, like stone, big old stone, in a trench. The trench was at an angle. And they'd kick the rock out, and the stone would roll into the, in the trench into the front of the sepulcher and close it off like a sliding door. Say amen. That's how some sepulchers were covered. But some sepulchers were covered with a huge boulder. And it's possible that it wasn't just a flat top wheel stone that rolled in front of Jesus' sepulcher. It is possible they put a huge boulder in front of it. Because the Bible says when he rose from the dead, there's an angel that was sitting on top of the stone. Well, he might, he might, he might be good enough to balance that wheel and sit on it at the same time. I'm just telling you, it could have been a huge boulder on the tomb of Jesus and not some little flat wheel stone. I'm just messing with your brain tonight, aren't I? Yeah, hallelujah. Go ahead. and I want to fry your brain. I'm just telling you the truth. So when you're teaching your Bible study, say it could have been a flat like wheel like stone that rolled in front or it could have been a huge old boulder. We don't know. Just the thing was, the entrance was covered with a big old rock. Hallelujah. That's a miracle that you may not be aware of. Because in that culture, the day the person died, they didn't put the stone in front. They waited days before they put the stone in front. It was a miracle. That when Joseph and Arimathea went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, that Pilate gave it to him, number one. Number two, that they put him in the sepulchre the same day, and number three, that they put the rock in front of that sepulchre entrance the same day. That's a miracle. But you've got to get the body, and you've got to bury it quickly. You Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. You've got to protect the body. Glory to God. And it's a real body, said John. And it had real blood, said John. It flowed out of his side. He wasn't a spirit like the Gnostics said, said John. He's trying to convince the Greek mind, the thinkers of the day, that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Because if he could convince them that Jesus was God incarnate, if he could convince the Greek of that, they would automatically become a believer. That's the purpose of him writing John, is to declare that Jesus was God incarnate. God in human flesh. Are y'all here? 
You can, you can tell people Jesus is God coming to flesh and they won't be saved, they won't believe. But in that culture, if you could, could, could convince them that Jesus was God incarnate, they would automatically come into the kingdom. And primarily at this time, he's writing to the Gentile believers and the Gentiles because the Jews are persecuting the church at this time. And it was written. Say, praise the Lord. I'm not talking about the time when Jesus rose from the dead. I'm talking about when the book was written. They're being cast out of the synagogues. You all here. So he, John's writing to the Greek leaders, telling Jesus said, Christ to God. He's God coming to flesh. Had a real body. He was God. Had real blood. See, the blood flowed out. And they took that real body and they put it in a real sepulcher. He wasn't just a spirit. You get, you get the point. You get the point. Yeah. Hallelujah. I don't know. I get beside myself when it comes to the Word of God. I'm just... That's why I get, I'll preach to you for three or four hours, or two, or at least two or three hours anyway, and you're going to sleep, and I'm still going. I'm excited about it. Man. Hallelujah. I think, I think Brother Patrick Durant's got a little bit of that in him. He's a new uh, teacher now. He said he got in there and te- taught an hour Sunday morning. Praise God. My wife... Now, I don't want you to close your ears. I don't want you to get a big head. But my wife walked by that Sunday school class said, he was going after it, Pastor. He was getting with it, praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So. All the young people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. I think Sister Sonia put so much doctrine in they, they Doctrine coming out of their ears, their eyes. Doctrine coming out of their nose. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. We, we, had a, we had a purpose in that, what she did. Hallelujah. Had a purpose in what she did. Praise God. Now, now there's going to be a different dimension added to them with this couple. Praise God. There's a, there's a, a purpose behind all of it. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Sister Sonia taught them they talk like theologians. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's all right. It's all right. You need it someday. And we're going to take care of the body. You're responsible to take care of the body. Well, they got quiet in here. All that envy and all that jealous went on. I wish he'd talk about me like that. Yeah. If you get like that, I'll talk about you like that. Yeah. If you're just dead, dry wood. Praise the Lord. Ain't no dead, dry wood here, though, is it? Is it? Dead, dry wood in here? Praise the Lord. Praise God. If a man dies, shall he live again? Can you imagine that? It's amazing, isn't it? He did. Verse 30, 42, okay? They put him, okay, so the sepulcher is located in the garden. Say, in the garden. Man fell in the garden. Jesus died in the garden. He was buried in the garden. He rose from the dead in the garden. First believers were baptized in Jesus' name in a garden, in a, in a cistern, in a garden. In a garden. Say, in a garden. If the, the Lord hadn't raptured me, next Wednesday I'll preach to you the garden. Amen. When, when Mary saw Jesus, he supposed 
She supposed him to be the gardener. Wonder why? Paradise reopened. Anyway, if I'm not raptured, well, if you, what, but see what it happens if I'm still here and you're raptured. Praise God. We got a real problem. Then I'm just going to have to believe that God left me down here to teach everybody else and took you home. Praise God. He said, no, I'm not taking you in the rapture. You stay here so you can teach some other people. I'm taking the church home. Praise God. That, that's what, praise God. That'd be the conclusion. And I'd have to come to, wouldn't it? <laughs> he took all you and left me. Amen. What if he took me and left all you? Just say the same thing. Well, God just left us down here so we could teach other people. Praise the Lord. We pick up pastor. All right, you ready? I'm going to try to finish up here. I'm having a good time tonight. I thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I want to protect this body. I want to protect my body. I want to protect this body. His body was extremely important. The Bible says, there they laid, there laid they Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the sepulchre was not hand. Very close to the place of his crucifixion. Yeah, Lord, I love you. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark in the sepulchre, seeth the stone taken away, taken away from the sepulchre. Jesus had already risen from the dead late on the Sabbath day. We'll prove it by the other gospels, Matthew and Mark that she started walking toward the sepulcher after the Sabbath. And when she got there, it was already resurrected. I taught resurrection, resurrection, well, we call it resurrection Sunday, really resurrection took place on, on Saturday night. But I can tell you this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ took, it, took place exactly. Only God could have known the very moment. Not even... He didn't just narrow it down to the second. He narrowed it down. I don't even know what the smallest numerical measurement of time would be. But God narrowed it down to the smallest, minutest measurement of time possible. Only God knows. At the end of the Sabbath and right at the beginning of the first day of the week. Right in that transition in between the seventh, end of the seventh day on the first day of the week, Jesus was resurrected. I didn't mean to scare you. So when you get in your darkness, understand that in God, which is it, dark or light? Are you in darkness or are you in light? You may say it's dark. God says, no, it's light. It's the beginning. It's the dawning of a new day. And Mary, Mary was walking towards sunrise. But anyway, that's another story. It's so dark. It's so dark. It's the darkest before the dawn. So when you get in the darkest part of your life, get ready. It's when you're closest to the dawn. 
Which are, what, what are you in? Darkness or light? You tell me. If you go by our time, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going crazy here. You go by our time, 12 a.m. What is 12 a.m.? What is that? Is that the beginning of a new day? Right? The beginning of a new day? It's the beginning of a new day. 12 o'clock night? I want you to do something tonight. 12 o'clock, if you're still awake. I want you, I, oh, I roam around all hours of the night. <laughs> it's about three or four this morning. I was outside walking around, you know. I'm thinking, man, these people, if, they, if anybody sees me, they're going to think, that, guy, well, that guy's crazy. Man. Just roaming around out in the, out in the, you know. And that's a sight to see at that time. Oh, man. But anyway, 12 o'clock. You walk out at 12 o'clock, 12.01. You look at the sky and it's as dark as it could possibly be. But it's morning. It's morning. It still looks dark, but it's morning. Are y'all here with me? Jesus rose at the end of the Sabbath and the beginning of the first day of the week at that right moment that only God knows. To let you know, even though you look and it seems dark, in God's time it's morning. Oh, hallelujah. He's great and greatly to be praised. Don't come driving by, don't drive around in front of my house about three in the morning hoping you're going to see me roaming around in the middle of the night. I always look before I walk. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. First day of the week, or the first of the week, coming to Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulchre. You see it, the stone taken away from the sepulchre. The stone was rolled away. Who did it? Jesus has already risen from the dead. The Bible tells us. And see if the stone taken, taken away from the sepulchre. He was already risen. The stone wasn't moved out of the way from the front of the sepulchre to let him out. God don't walk through walls. And he don't walk through rock. Why are you looking at me like that? Jesus is here right now, even though you can't see him manifestly. He's on the outside of this wall. Even though you can't see him manifestly, he's here now. He just chooses to appear. So when he rose from the dead, he didn't need the stone to roll, be rolled away to get out of the sepulcher. He just appeared outside of the sepulcher. He don't walk through walls. Knows how to, and if he knows how to operate in dimensions, though, he can turn his body in one dimension. He can appear in one dimension, turn his body in another dimension, and appear in another dimension. Oh, hello, that's so good. Maybe we'll get into that next week when he appears to his disciples and they're all in that room. He appeared. He was already there. He didn't walk into a wall to get to him. He was already there. He just manifested his presence. And appear. Okay, anyway, what am I doing tonight?
first one to see the resurrection was a woman. And if you're going to falsify a resurrection, you don't choose a woman to be the first one to be the witness because in that culture, women, their testimony is not valid in a court of law. If you're going to falsify it, that is not a false resurrection, true, true resurrection. The first one that saw the resurrected, resurrected Lord was Mary. The first one that saw the resurrection was, was a woman. It wasn't a man. I told you last week, there's four women plus one man standing at the cross. Some of you big shots out there think you big time, boy. Think again. Four women, one man. First one that went to the saw the, the sepulcher empty and saw Jesus resurrected was a, a woman. All the women said, praise the Lord. Look at them, tell them big shot. Go ahead, Sister Katina. I'm Christine, I know you want to say it. Praise God. She's been wanting to say it all her life. Well, at least for, what, 20, 25 years. It was a woman. It was a person the sepulchre. The woman who saw Jesus raised. It was four women plus women, one man at the cross. Take that. Big shot. Big shot, little squirt under pressure. That's all it is. Yeah, I'm a big shot. Yeah, I'm a, you're just a little squirt under pressure. That's all you are. Yeah. See, I'm going to do my best to run every one of you off before the rapture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Oh, see, I, I shouldn't be preaching this because I'm... Anyway, but i got to get to those cloths. She runs to Simon Peter. Simon Peter had what? Betrayed his Lord. But she ran to Peter. You know why? Because even though Peter failed, he was still recognized as the Peter in the church. Are y'all here? There's some, some men of God who, I'm not talking about morally falling in major things. I'm talking about just some kind of minor mistake. Boom! You know, they don't have anything to do with that man anymore. Let me tell you something. Peter fell, but he was still recognized as the leader of the group. I said he was still recognized as the leader of the group. Give God praise in the house. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He does not change his mind. You can disqualify yourself morally, yes. But God didn't change his mind. He called you. He called you. And if you disqualify yourself morally, you'll sit on a pew for the rest of your life, miserable, knowing God did not change His mind. The call is still on you, but you disqualified yourself. But the good news is I know that God is a qualifying God, not a disqualifying God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I'll say it again. He's a qualifying God, not a disqualifying God, so that even though Peter not betrayed Him, he didn't betray him, change it, deny him. He's still recognized as the leader of the group. Mary run it to Peter. Give God praise. You ever you ever feel like a complete failure in the church? 
I lift up both hands, both feet, every toe I got, every finger I got. You know, you get into the place where you're praying just like the Apostle Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? you got to pray like that. Who is sufficient for these things? I'm not sufficient to stand behind this pulpit. You understand? you just got to give God the praise and the glory. That ought to encourage you tonight. Of course, I forget I'm preaching to angels. We're just trying to figure out what can. But for all of you who know you're faulty and frail, when you see Mary running to Peter, still a recognized leader in the, in the group, that ought to encourage you tonight. Peter therefore went forth and another disciple and came to the sepulcher. Now we got a foot race. Peter's running to the sepulcher. Mary's telling him the sepulcher's empty. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's running, you know. He's an old fisherman. Here comes that young buck, John. Woo! He's zipped right by Peter. Because he's younger than Peter. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us John gets there. That other disciple gets there ahead of Peter. He looks into the sepulcher. Hallelujah. He stares long gaze. The Bible says, and he stooping down, looking in and saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Another interesting thing about the shout of Turin, there is no history that I know of the early apostles ever making mention of a shroud that was left behind to prove the resurrection of Jesus. There's no historical account of any apostle ever saying that there was a shroud that had the imprint of Jesus that I know of. They stood down looking in and saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. If it was a shroud of turn, what an amazing sight that would be. If it was. But it's still an amazing sight if it wasn't. He saw the shroud or the burial, the swaddling clothes the burial cloth of Jesus. Empty. Say empty. And it was proof that a resurrection had taken place of that body. The Bible says he doesn't go in. John doesn't. He just stoops down and looks in. He sees the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. It's like some people in the church, the Bible Student Fellowship. They'll look in. They won't go in. It's all spooky to them. The moving of God, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. They'll look in. They won't go in. It's all spooky to them. Peter. 
I don't know about you. I don't want to just look in. I want to go in. I don't want to. This is spooky. No, it's spooky. I see people in the movie. God starts moving powerfully in this church, you know. They're, just, they're holding on to that blue fuse one. You start getting these looks on their faces like, mm, here it comes. Just oh. seem to explode. You know, they just, they look in, but they won't get in. Because they're afraid. Are you with me now? Peter got there. The, the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. Verse 4, he stooped down, looking in, and saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre. So he went into the sepulchre. Even though he denied him what love he had. He went to the sepulchre and he see the linen clothes lying and the napkin that was about his head. Let me say it to Sugarian, the napkin that holds the jaw in place. Listen, it might have been, they put the talit on the face of the Jewish man. It could have been a talit. It could have been, the word is the Sugarian. The napkin, the sweat cloth, the cloth that's used to wipe perspiration away. That's what the word means. I'm just telling you, Jewish burial customs, they use the talit to wrap their face in. They're out here. But this sweat cloth that was used to wrap the jaw closed on the head and was used to cover the face of the man while taking off the taking him off the cross to show respect. It was wrapped around the face and the jaw to hold the mouth closed and or set aside after placed being placed in the sepulchre, depending on who was doing the burial. But I'm trying to show you something here. The Bible says he saw that shroud. He saw those linen clothes, Peter, and the napkin that was about his head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. One translation says rolled together in a place by itself. I believe what John is trying to say is this superior. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. It would have been used to tie his jaw closed. It was wrapped around in the same shape that it was when his face was in it. I believe that's what John is saying. He said that nap and that sweat cloth was still in the same shape as the face of Jesus. No place in it, but it was still wrapped around. 
Was it folded like a napkin, thrown on the left? Oh, it's possible. But it could be that it was in the shape of the face that it was wrapped in. Wow. Same shape. Boring. God didn't answer me. Then went in also that... Why do you say that, Pastor? I just got to say it. Something irritates me sometimes about people. They have no more. Some people have no more love for God's people than they do. Don't understand that. You walked in there and you saw those empty gray clothes and you saw that napkin that was used to wipe perspiration away. Maybe it was a Talit Island, according to the Bible. Word was in sweat box. And there it was in the place, separate from the other clothes, still in a shame, same shape as the head of Jesus. Nobody had untied it. And if it was that shroud and they looked in to see what looked like the body three dimensional was laying flat there, but you could still see if it was a shroud. There he was. Maybe it wasn't a shroud of fear, and it was for the face where he used to be. That beautiful. A resurrection has taken place. Not a spirit, but a spiritual body. The Bible goes on. Wrapped together in a place by itself or in a round circular where the face would have been. Somebody has speculated and it's speculation because it's not in the Bible. But somebody has speculated in that culture that example, if you were eating in a restaurant and you you take your napkin and if you're through eating, you throw the napkin over the plate. They know, waitress knows that you're not coming back. But if you take your napkin and you fold it, wrap it together, fold it, and you set it in a place beside the plate, you're letting the waitress know you're coming back. So it's possible he saw the face of Jesus in that napkin. I don't know. It's possible he saw that because it's wrapped together, folded together, and somebody took the time to fold it, put it over to the side, Jesus. Letting everybody know He's coming back. Amen. That's a real strong possibility. If I look at Revelation 19 and verse 16, I'm coming to a close. If that is his talent, Revelation 19, 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. If it is the Talit that's over wrapped up in a place, we see him coming back. King of kings, Lord of lords, that's on his garments. 
if that is his talit, then Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to go to the soldier who had it and they had to purchase it from him in order to wrap his face in that talit. I'm just trying to stay with the Bible. The Jewish burial customs really, really tripped me up here. Because the talit is normally placed on the head. It could be both the napkin and the talit. But the word here is not talit. The word here is sweat pad. The Sudarian that was wrapped around, that we talked about at the very beginning of the message, was wrapped around the head of the jaw. Say, praise the Lord. I will never know, really, ultimately, all the mysteries, and nor will you. I, you can study, you can think, I can pinpoint this down, I can narrow it down, and I know exactly what every detail is. Really? When you study the history of the church, several centuries held this view about the resurrection. And then the next centuries held this view about the resurrection. And they were different. I'm doing my best with the text and I'm doing my best with burial customs that I'm not familiar with. Try to explain the Bible to you. You know what the highest form of preaching is? I tell you what the highest form of preaching is according to Biola University. The highest form of preaching is to take the Bible, read the Bible to the people, explain the Bible, and then make practical application. That is the highest form of preaching that there is. I'm not saying I'm doing it. I'm just telling you that's what the highest form of preaching is. It's not getting up and telling stories from the newspaper. It's taking this Bible and explaining this Bible and making practical application. That's the highest form of preaching there is. And that's the kind of preaching that God called me to when He called me to preach is to take that Bible, explain that Bible, and make practical application. That's the highest form of preaching there is. Though you want to still call it preach, that's the highest, according to Bible University, that's the highest form of preaching there is. Give God praise. Almost through with the Gospel of John. Almost through with the Gospel of John. Simon Peter Following him, went into the sepulchre and see if the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple. Now Peter went in, so now the other disciple said, Peter made it, he survived. So here goes John. Okay, yeah. Are you all right? Yeah, okay. Here, yeah, okay. I'm coming too. Praise the Lord. We always need leaders in the church. They'll go in. And then, you know, and there's always going to be followers. Thank God for the followers too. Thank God for John. He wrote the Gospel of John, right? At least dictated it. Peter, you know, Peter stepped right in and prayed. And John says, Looks like you're all right. Glory to God, it's moving. Hallelujah. Mark. Didn't fall down dead, so come on, Mark. You go first. Praise the Lord. You and if, if you don't die, then I'm coming with you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know? That's kind of the way people are in the church, Dad. 
Hey, brother, Pat, he goes ahead. He, okay, he made it. He went to the slide. You remember that evangelist that came to preach in the church and we weren't pastoring? We were in the church. I can't remember his name. Big old tall. He was sleeping in the church um, church grounds. And they heard a noise. It's after a service. They heard a noise. Okay. Jeremiah, I won't pull my wife up, but Jeremiah will act like she'll put stand for me. It's okay. And I kid you not. That big old tall evangelist, he heard a noise. And I remember that old long hallway in that church. Boy, it's dark at night, man. He heard a noise outside. And he got his wife, put his wife in front of him, and got a bat. <laughs> and walked down the hallway. That, that's a true story. That's the way some of you are in Bible Center Fellowship. Like, Come here. You go four, you go first. And if you don't die, then I'm coming with you. Hallelujah. I'm supporting you all the way. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. Praise the Lord. He turned his wife into a, a human shield. <laughs> oh, Peter. And he went in first, you know. And here comes John falling behind. Then when also the other disciple came first to the sepulchre, which came first, and he saw and believed. Saw and believed. Saw. What Mary was saying, what she told us, was the truth. It was accurate. What she told us, it was accurate. Risen from the dead. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the, at the sepulchre weeping, and she wept, and she stooped down and looked in the sepulchre, and see the two angels in white sitting. That's where we'll take up next week, God willing. We'll talk about a woman. We'll talk about your woman. Some of you may say, you ain't talking about my wife. I'm not talking about your wife. I'm talking about your woman. Well, if you're not talking about my wife, well, well, when you, you come back next week, you'll find out what woman I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your woman. Your wife. Praise the Lord. I had a good time tonight. It's challenging is a challenging, challenging message. But I want to focus on the body, his burial tonight. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Don't just leave out the burial. Don't jump over the burial. It's extremely significant. Without it, you could not be resurrected from the dead. Without it, you could not be the first fruit, uh, a part of that harvest. He's the first fruits. You couldn't experience resurrection if you didn't. They didn't take that body and plant that seed in that garden. You would not be saved. It's his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. It's a the gospel. Amen. You have to repent, die. You have to be buried in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you have to be 
filled with the Holy Ghost, death, burial, and resurrection. So I can't just jump over the burial of the body of Jesus. It's too significant. It's too, it's too important. Praise the Lord. You've been a good, a good group of people tonight to preach to. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We ask your blessing to be upon your holy word. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. You're an awesome God. Jesus. Help us understand, Lord, the significance of every one of our bodies. That we must protect the seed that's in us, the investment price that you paid. Help us to present our bodies to you. As you save our soul, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. We praise you for the gospel. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for being here tonight.